so good morning. It's it's good to be with you. And as as Kelly said, we're carrying on with our series in Mark, now looking at Mark six. And as I've read Mark six and been thinking and praying about Mark six and what to share with, uh, what to share about today, I've had two questions constantly go through my mind. Uh, the first question: What am I a disciple of? Or if you like, what do I follow? And the second question, what impact does that have on my life? And we live in a world where people are constantly following things. Following bands, following uh, celebrities, following sports teams. I follow a sports team. I follow a bad sports team. In fact, I was greeted at first service by one of our youth group who was standing in, well, standing by the welcome desk with a big grin on his face. And he said to me, good morning, David. How did your football team do yesterday? <laughs> and I said to him, you know full well how my football team did yesterday, don't you? At second service, I was greeted by Kaylin, who said to me, good morning, David. How did your football team do yesterday? <laughs> you know full well how my football team did yesterday. We don't need to talk about it. We all follow uh, various different things. And one of the most common things we follow is we follow each other, uh, particularly on social media. And we use social media to keep track on what our friends are doing, uh, what they're up to, what the news is in their life. And only last week, I was back in England, and I was celebrating a significant birthday of my father's. And I saw a friend who I hadn't seen for about two or three years. And we were catching up, and we were chatting about what's been going on in life. And he suddenly said, oh, David, uh, I need to follow you. What can I follow you on? And I said, well, I don't really use much, but I, I occasionally post on Instagram, if you want to look me up on Instagram. So he quickly looked up my Instagram account. David Pambakian is not very hard to find uh, on Instagram. He looked up my Instagram account, and uh, literally 30 seconds later, he was following me on Instagram. And he scanned through my photos, and having looked at my photos, he turned to me, and he said, man, David, you've become such a dad, haven't you? Now, I'm sure there are people in this room who use Instagram far more than I do. And I think I'm correct in thinking that the term, you've become such a dad, is like an Instagram way of saying your pictures are really cool and trendy and like you obviously put a lot of time and effort into making sure uh, you're on the cutting edge of social media. If I'm wrong about that, feel free to correct me afterwards. But I, I, I'm pretty sure this, this, that's what he meant. Actually, in truth, I had a look at my Instagram account uh, after seeing him and he, he's completely right. I've, I've become one of those dads. But in this chapter, uh, in Mark 6, we're going to discover more about what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, and also some of the stumbling blocks that often come in our way when we, we seek to follow Jesus. Some of the barriers, in particular, the barriers that we're going to see are your relational history with Jesus, challenges of going out, fear of God not providing, and being overwhelmed by the storms of life. So, last week, uh, Kelly looked at chapter 5, and she looked at the resurrection. Today, 
we're going to look at what the result of the resurrection is, the life that we have, the life that we have and how we live it as disciples, as followers of Jesus in Mark 6. So as we start reading, and the words, will be, the words of the chapter will be on the screen behind me, Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things? They asked. What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters with us? And they took offence to him. Jesus said to them, to them, a prophet is not without honour except in his own town, among his relatives and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Jesus returned home after being out with his disciples and elsewhere he'd gone and he'd performed miracles, he'd changed lives, he'd healed people. But in his own home, he couldn't do those things. And he couldn't do those things because when he started to teach, when he started to preach, all the people saw were the carpenters, the carpenter. All people saw were what they already knew of Jesus, their preconceived ideas of who he was and what they could do. At first they were amazed, and then the baggage of life took over. And it blocked them. It blocked them from receiving and from seeing all that Jesus had for them, because they couldn't get by who he was. And I've, I've got a tiny insight into, into this and into what this, what this is like, because I was very fortunate in that I grew up in a small church, in, in West London, and it was a small church where young people were given the opportunity to take part in the service from a very early age. And in our early teens, a number of us who were in the youth group uh, were asked to be involved. A lot of people were asked to get involved in, in the band. People were, like other young people were singing, uh, they were playing musical instruments. I was never asked to be a part of the worship team uh, in my church growing up. It's something I'm dealing with. Um, if, if you want to know why I was never asked to be part of the worship team growing up, stand next to me during a church service one day, listen to me sing. It's, it's terrible. I'm completely tone deaf. I was never asked to be part of the worship team, but I was asked one Sunday morning uh, to share, as I'm sharing this morning. And I prepared my sermon, and I prepared it with my father, and then aged only around 14 or 15 years old, I shared, I preached on a Sunday morning. And I remember standing preaching, and as I was preaching, as I was sharing, there was a lady sitting on the front row, around where Suzanne is standing, uh, is sitting now. And as I was preaching, I caught her out the corner of my eye, and she had tears streaming down her face. And at 14 years old, I thought, this is fantastic this is brilliant. Like, I'm really speaking. Like, well, God's really speaking to her. Like, God's using me here. This is so exciting. Like, God's using what I've prepared to speak to this lady. And as I spoke, I was so encouraged. Of course, after I'd finished speaking, she came up to me with tears in her eyes. 
she held me by the hand and she said to me, David, I sat and I listened to you preach and I just remembered you as a little baby. (laughs) And I remembered how naughty you were when I used to babysit for you. And I remember how cheeky you used to be. And now you're all big and preaching and sharing in church. Actually, she wasn't necessarily listening to what I had to say. <laughs> she, was, she was remembering me being a very, very cheeky three-year-old, which I have some understanding of now because my son is so much like me. But actually, in that situation, she was so familiar with me. She was so familiar with who... I am who I was growing up, that it almost blocked her from hearing what I had to say. It blocked her from hearing the message that I was bringing. And there's a challenge in there for us, because particularly for those of us who have grown up in church, and for those of us who are very familiar with church environment and what happens in church, I put this challenge out. Are we ever so familiar with church, so familiar with Jesus, that we miss what he's doing? Are we ever so familiar with Jesus, familiar with hearing from him, that we miss what he's saying to us, that we miss the truths that he's speaking into our lives? We need to get back to the first encounter, to the first love, to the excitement of realising who Jesus is for the first time, so that he can teach us and equip us. We can't allow ourselves to lose sight of the wonder of Christ, the wonder of who he is. And that requires more than just a weekly check-in. It requires more than just coming to church on a Sunday morning. It requires maybe trying to spend some time with the Lord every day. Spending a bit of time just listening for what God is saying. Spending a bit of time trying to soak in God's word every day. I can't encourage you enough. Part of being a disciple, being a follower of Jesus, is to spend time with him. Spend time listening to him, seeking his word, seeking his will for your life. So having been with his disciples, having equipped his disciples, having taught his disciples, Jesus then sends them out. And we carry on with the chapter. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the twelve to him. He began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place. Shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Because Jesus' disciples were, were sent out. They were sent out to do the work themselves. They went through thick and thin with Jesus. They ate with him. They drank with him. They would have stayed with him. They went on really long walks with Jesus. Jesus wasn't walking around in fancy walking boots. This was like sandals. It would have been pretty unbearable to walk for days and days on end to share the good news. Jesus' disciples uh, experienced what it was to do life with Jesus. And after doing life with Jesus, they were equipped to go and to do the work themselves. And I had a small experience, well, actually a pretty big experience uh, in in my life of of being discipled in this way, 
of someone sharing life with me and really taking me under their wing and discipling me and teaching me. I grew up in a small church and I was always fairly sceptical, if you like, of, of big Christians or like big Christian celebrities. I always assumed that people that spoke to thousands of people uh, must be fairly arrogant, uh, must be pretty unapproachable and generally just not very nice people. So I was particularly sceptical when a man called Mike Pilavachi, who runs a big youth movement uh, in, in England called Soul Survivor, and they actually have conferences uh, around the world, he came to do a week's mission at our school when I was 18, 18 years old. And during the week, uh, I watched him. And actually, he came and he served. He came and he sat and he had lunch with students. He came and he spoke to the whole, well, not quite to the whole school, but he spoke to a couple of hundred students. But he also sat afterwards and he chatted to individuals who came to him. And I was really impressed because I saw the way he worked. And Mike and I got to know each other a little bit during that week. And he asked me to go and, and intern with him for a year. And so I interned with him for a year. Uh, any parents in the room, I'm sorry, but it was my second gap year, which I'm not sure my parents were that thrilled about. Uh, having one gap year was just about enough. But during my second gap year, before starting university, I went and I, I, dis I interned, or I was a disciple. I followed Mike for the year. And yes, I saw him preach. I saw him preach to thousands of people. And it was an amazing experience, and I learned a lot. And I saw him in the way that lots of other people have seen him. But actually, what I really learned from and what really taught me uh, was when I spent time with him and saw the way that he was in, in the times that no one else saw him, in the times that actually he was by himself. It was maybe just he and I. You learn a lot about someone when you live daily life with them. You learn a lot about someone when you fly in economy class from LA to Sydney, because it's not a pleasant experience at all. I learned more from seeing Mike's small little interactions with individuals on a, on a daily basis than I did from watching him preach to crowds. And actually, that was the same for the disciples. The disciples were with Jesus. They were watching Jesus. They were seeing what he was doing. And so it probably came as no surprise to them when, in verse 8, Jesus gives very specific instructions. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. He gave them really specific instructions, but they rang true with the disciples because the disciples had seen Jesus live it out in his own life. They'd seen Jesus actually live out what he was instructing them to do. After spending time with Jesus, the disciples were equipped to go out and do the work themselves. Just as Jesus sent out the disciples to share his message of repentance, he asks us to go out to. Part of being a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, is that we can do it. We can do it. It's not just the case for the holy few or those that are on church staff. Everyone is invited to play a part in the kingdom of God, to play their part as disciples of Jesus, to follow where Jesus is leading you and to go where he calls you. And 
you're meant to go together, though. Practically speaking, you're meant to go together. Being a disciple of Jesus isn't something we're meant to do alone. It's not something where we're told, right, go and follow Jesus. Go for it. You're on your own. I couldn't put it any better than as Hannah and Richard have already shared. Like, actually, their experience of being here, of being disciples of Jesus, has been in community. It's been a part of this community. And as a community, as a group of believers together, it's our job to encourage each other, to support each other, to spur each other on as we seek to be disciples, as we seek to follow God. But then also you do have to go. You do have to go because it requires action to be a disciple. To follow someone requires action. You can't stand still and follow someone. I spend a lot of my time being followed at the moment. A lot of my time being followed. When I'm at home, I get no peace. No, it's not funny. No peace at all. Daddy, where are you going? Daddy, where are you going? Daddy, I'm going to the shop. I want to come. No, Daddy, no, okay. My son, I love him dearly, but he wants to follow me absolutely everywhere. And in the same way, we need to be disciples who want to follow Jesus. We need to follow where, where God is calling us and be ready to move. And as we move through the passage, uh, there's the next part of the passage is, is particularly looking at, at John the Baptist and John the Baptist's experience of the cost of discipleship. And I don't want to kind of completely ignore this, but I want to focus this morning uh, on what it means for us to be a disciple. Uh, If you want to go and read the passage yourselves, you'll see John the Baptist paid the ultimate cost of being a disciple of Jesus. He paid with his life. That's not the case for many of us. We're not in a situation where we're, we're risking our lives by being disciples. But I want to recognize that that is the case for many people uh, around the world. We need to be praying for people in those, situation, in those situations. But for us, in our situation uh, here in, in Paris, in Rue Maison, uh, I want to look at what it requires for us as we're followers of Jesus. And so as we move through the passage, uh, Jesus' disciples have gone out, they've performed miracles, and then they've come back. And they've come back, and there's probably been a lot of talk because of what's happened. There's probably been a lot of talk of, who are these guys who are going and and healing people? Who are these guys who are going and doing things in Jesus' name? Who are these guys who are going out and seeing lives changed as they pray for people in Jesus' name? The people had been listening to the disciples, listening to Jesus, uh, and then they came and they gathered in. And they gathered to listen to what Jesus was teaching. And as we pick up uh, the passage in verse 35, By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. They found out they had five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit in groups on green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate 
and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. 5,000 men, there would have been far more, including women and children. And again here, Jesus' disciples, they just don't get it. They just don't get it. Jesus is wanting to teach. Jesus is wanting to direct people uh, to him, direct people to what he has to say about salvation. And the stumbling block here is a really practical one. The people were hungry. I get that. I get that. Because so often, uh, when we step out in faith, when we step out to do something, stumbling blocks come up. Numerous blocks suddenly appear out of nowhere. The disciples were a practical bunch, but Jesus doesn't let the practical needs stop him from doing his work, stop him from doing uh, what he has to do. Even after seeing the miracles, seeing what, what Jesus has done, the disciples were still worrying about the next day. And the passage ends with the disciples going around, like gathering up the leftovers. They're thinking, oh, you know, what, what about tomorrow? Uh, what, what, what are we going to do tomorrow? They've just seen Jesus feed 5,000 people uh, with a few loaves of bread and two fish. And they're still sitting there thinking, we've got to worry about tomorrow. I love that the disciples make me feel a little bit less bad about myself. Because these are guys who saw Jesus. They were walking with Jesus. And they still just didn't get it. They didn't get that Jesus will provide. What does it take for us to fully trust God to provide for our needs, to provide for our food, to provide for our families, to provide for our friends, to provide for our children? What does it take for us to fully trust God to provide for us? Because actually, it's exciting being part of the kingdom of God. It's exciting being a disciple in the kingdom of God. We aren't just invited to be spectators looking in. We're not invited as disciples to stand on the sidelines and watch what God is doing. The disciples didn't stand there as Jesus took the bread and gave it out. The disciples were given the bread and Jesus said, you go, you do it, you get involved. And as disciples of Jesus today, we are invited to play our part we're invited to jump in and get involved in the work of the kingdom, get involved in what God is doing. I was reading a few days ago this book, fantastic book called Risk Takers. And in the book, it described the excitement of being a disciple uh, far better than I ever could. I have to say, though, that despite the risk, the risk of discipleship, the barriers that we face, despite the risk, it's worth a step. Stepping into the story of God is like walking through the wardrobe in the Chronicles of Narnia. Wouldn't that be fun? It's like watching a colour television after having spent your life watching a black and white one. You will never want to go back. This is not the kind of step that you can reverse. It is not some kind of try-before-you-buy option. To step into the story is like stepping off a diving board once you have stepped off you can't step back on. We're all called to be part of the story of God, to be disciples who follow where God's leading us, 
to get involved, to jump in and be ready for where God takes us. But there can also be difficulties and there can also be hardships. And as we continue in the passage, the disciples have seen all these amazing things and then immediately Jesus made, if we go on to verse 45, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all, th- uh, because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. They've seen Jesus calm a storm in Mark 4, heal people, cast out demons, feed 5,000 people, and yet when Jesus appears on the boat and calms the storm, they're still completely amazed. They're still completely amazed and blown away. And so many times in scripture, after God does amazing things and after there's great movements of God in people's lives, a storm comes along and distracts us, distracts people from what God is doing. It's so easy in life to be distracted from what God is doing because of the storm. And here... At the bridge, at church, we're a church of, of ordinary people. We know firsthand that storms are part of life. I can't stand here because it would not be true and say that if you choose to be a follower and a disciple of Jesus, everything will be easy because that's not true. I know that I've had times in my life where everything seemed to be going okay and in a split second everything was completely turned upside down and my whole life changed and actually in the midst of storms what God does or what Jesus does is he promises to be with us he promises to be present with us in the same way that as the disciples were out on the boat scared because of the storm they just needed to realize that Jesus was with them Jesus was not just leaving them alone. And as disciples, as followers of Jesus, I cannot encourage you enough in the midst of storms, in the midst of things in your life which are really hard and really tough, which we need to acknowledge because there are things that we are really hard and really difficult. Jesus doesn't call us to say everything's okay. He doesn't call us to ignore problems. He calls us to him. He calls us to draw close to him, to take our strength, to be encouraged, by his presence, by his supporting us in our lives. So today I'd encourage you to give your faith a checkup. Is the familiarity of Christianity a little bit too much for you? Is the familiarity of Jesus preventing you from seeing what he wants to do in your life, from seeing where he wants to lead you, from seeing the path that he's, he, he has laid out for you? Do you perhaps have a need, something which is pressing on your mind that's distracting you from following Jesus? Maybe it's finances, 
Maybe it's worries about jobs, worries about the future that's keeping you up at night. I know I've had times in my life where I've woken up in the morning and I felt like I've been tossing and turning all night because I've been worrying about things. Actually, we're called to cast our burdens onto Jesus because he cares for us. Do you find that there are storms in your life that are distracting you from following Jesus? Storms that are causing you just just, just to be overwhelmed with worry, to be distracted from following him. And as I've been thinking and wrestling with the joy and the excitement of following Jesus, of being a disciple of Jesus and being invited into his story, being invited into what he's doing, I've kept on coming back to the same part of scripture. And it's a part of scripture I love. It's in chapter 12 of Paul's letter to the Hebrews. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, fixing our eyes on Jesus. What do we need to do to be disciples, to be better followers of Jesus? We need to look to him. We need to look to him. In good times, when things are exciting, look to him. In hard times, when it seems like there are the storms in your life, we need to look for him. Look to him. And if any of these challenges ring true for you today, if you're sitting there thinking, actually, I'm, I'm really struggling maybe with, with following Jesus because I have this particular worry. I'm really struggling following Jesus because uh, I, I don't quite get where he's leading me. I think this morning Jesus wants to remind you that it wasn't, it wasn't made complicated. As we see from the disciples time and time again, what we need to do as followers of, of Jesus, as disciples, is to turn our eyes towards Jesus. And that involves turning your eyes away from other things. It involves turning your eyes away from other things, which can so easily distract and preoccupy. We need to turn our eyes upon Jesus and focus on who he is and what he's done for us. So can we, can we stand? Can we stand this morning? What I'd like to do is I'd like to finish with with a short time, a short prayer. And if any of those things have particularly challenged you today, if you're if you're sitting there thinking, I want to follow Jesus, I want to be a better disciple, but there are stumbling blocks in my life, there are things that I'm finding really challenging, then I'd love you to get prayer this morning. I'd love you to come, come down to the front and just be prayed for, if you can. If there are maybe things in your life that you feel are blocking you from better following Jesus, maybe for you, you're, you're sitting here, or you're standing here now, and you're, and you're thinking, actually, I've forgotten the first love. I've forgotten the first excitement of knowing Jesus, of being a disciple of Jesus. Then actually, we'd love to pray that you rediscover that first excitement this morning, that you rediscover the joy of knowing Jesus and following him. Don't leave here today without really acknowledging what it means to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus, and what impact that has on your life. Lord, we thank you for, for your call, for your welcoming arms, 
Lord, we thank you that you call us to follow you, that you call us to be your disciples, not just to stand on the outside, but to jump in and get involved in what you are doing in our lives. Get involved in what you're doing in the lives of our friends and our neighbours. Get involved in what you're doing in this city, in our workplaces, in our families and in our friendships. Lord, we ask this morning that you would help us, you would equip us, as you did with your disciples, to be better disciples, to be better followers of who you are. Lord, speak to us this morning. Speak to us this morning. Open our hearts to what it is you're calling us to do.